right, welcome to Faith Church. Glad you are here. My name is Matthew, one of the pastors on, on the team here. Uh, if you have your Bible, join me in Psalm 34. Psalm 34. Uh, if you didn't bring a Bible because you don't have a Bible, we have them available out in the lobby. If you didn't bring a Bible and you have a Bible, bring your Bible next week. Uh, this During this collection, we're really anchoring into what does it mean to be the radiant people of God. And that comes with beginning to experience renewal. And renewal only occurs through discipleship. And part of discipleship is knowing God intimately, personally, individually in his word. In other words, uh, we want to help you know how to learn about God through his word. And that starts with knowing where things are at in the word. And the only way you're going to get better at finding things in the Word is if you look for things in the Word. And so we're going to take some time through this collection to really uh, get into the Word, look, find things. And uh, for those of you that have a Fresh Start Bible, we'll be putting page numbers on the screen so it's really quick to find it. Uh, But we want to challenge you and encourage you to bring your Bible to church. Come on, amen? All right, Psalm 34. Starting in verse 1, this is what it says. I will praise the Lord at all times. I will continually speak his praises. I will boast, oh, only in the Lord. Let all who are helpless take heart. Come, let us tell the Lord's greatness. Let us exalt his name together. I prayed to the Lord and he answered me. He freed me from all my fears. Here it is, verse 5. It's key for us. Those who look to him for help will be radiant. Somebody say radiant. Radiant with joy, he says. No shadow of shame will darken their faces. In my despair, I prayed, and the Lord listened. He saved me from all my troubles. For the angel of the Lord is a guard. He surrounds and defends those who fear him. Taste and see the Lord is good. Oh, the joys of those who take refuge in him. Fear the Lord, you who you his godly people. For those who fear him will have all they need. Even strong young lions sometimes grow hungry. But those who trust in the Lord, I love this, will lack no good thing. This is what it looks like to be the radiant people of God. Friends, I want you to realize something as we get going in this collection. We, the people of God, are the radiant people. We are the radiant people of God. There, there is uh, a call and, a, and an invitation from the Lord. Now, for us as a church, we've, we've taken the last, uh, last several years and e- at, towards the end of each year, we would pray and say, Lord, what, what is it that you have for our church in this next year? What is kind of a theme and a thread and something you're wanting us to focus and highlight on and, and really pay attention to? And for us this year, it is this word, radiant. Somebody say radiant. Now, before we get too far, let me define some things. Let's define some words so that we're all working from the same understanding. Radiant, according to the dictionary, it means this. Sending out light. Shining or glowing brightly. 
it, when it comes to a person or their expression, it, it kind of has the connotation of clearly emanating great joy, love, and health. I love that. And when it comes to the emotion or a quality, it has this connotation, emanating powerfully from someone or something. We are the radiant people of God. We are called to be radiant, shining brightly for him. Now, now my question is, are you radiant or are you more radioactive? Because there is a difference. What you are putting out, other people are picking up, right? People are understanding and following through. Are you radiant or radioactive? If you were to ask your friends or coworkers, your neighbors, and you were to say, hey, give me your first word response when you hear the word Christian, what would their one word response be back to you? What would be their gut initial reaction as it relates to the people of God? towards the family of God, towards the community of faith. What comes to their mind? What comes to your mind when you hear the word Christian, Jesus, follower, the Bible? What comes to your mind? Does it feel radiant and joyful and full of life and joy and health? Or is it more radioactive too? Your thoughts, your perspective, your viewpoint on God and following Jesus and scripture and the Bible. I think it's important for us who claim to follow Jesus to ask ourselves, what vibe are we putting out there? What is it we're, we're kind of letting people see? When, when people look at you, are you radiating that you're a hot mess? Come on, are, are you radiating that you're an addict? Are you radiating that you're just one hot button and all it takes is one trigger word and pow? What are you radiating? Are you radiating that you are just a mute button? Every other word, you got a mute, beep, 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 like Morris Code something. <laughs> like, what is it you're putting out there into the world? When they look at you, is it lazy, negative? Do you always have a comment on, in the public square towards the government and the citizens and our local community? And are you critical? What, are you, what vibe are you putting out? Are you radiant or radioactive? This is where we must begin. Christians and secular people alike fall into one of two ditches that we talked about last Sunday as a church. We, we tend to either live in a world when it comes to the desires and the reality of our life to either live with legalism where we repress things and we really just suck the fun out of all of life or... We live hedonistic lives, humanistic lives, and we just let our desires and our thoughts and our attitudes just run free one wild. Well, I am me, and I, I can't make apologize for how I am. People are just going to have to get used to me. And you're just letting it run free and run wild. We can fall into either one of those followers of Jesus and unchristian alike. We all are radiant or radioactive, radioactive in so many things. I, I think that if we're not careful, if we live in the, in the realm of legalism, or we live in the realm of hedonism and humanism, I think either one we find ourselves, we will lack being renewed to become radiant. We will continue to be radioactive. Now, I need to let you in on a little secret. 
By default, when you were born, you were born with the radioactive seed of sin already hardwired into who you are. Which requires actual repentance and a transformation that only comes in putting your faith in Jesus. And that's what we celebrated today in water baptism. People were taking an oath of an allegiance to follow Jesus. That's what begins renewal in their lives. King Solomon, the wealthiest, wisest man who ever walked the face of the earth, said it like this. I've, I've searched all the world and denied myself zero pleasure. And he had the money to make sure he got to experience every pleasure. And it's all meaningless, he says. It's all vanity. There is nothing significant by allowing yourself to live a hedonistic, humanistic life. And there is no joy or life or health to be found in living bound by legalism in those things. We saw last week that God wants us to be renewed as we become disciples. And we said that renewal begins by knowing God through his word, practicing and living out the ways of Jesus and leading other people to do the same. This is what being a disciple looks like. It's, it's something that we become. It's a process of transformation. We talked about how cucumbers can become pickles. And we be pickled people. The radiant people of God are pickled people. There is a transformation that occurs. There is a process to where what we started as is not... How God wants us to end up. There's a renewal and a transformation that we are after and looking for. And we said that, that, that the, uh, the ancient Greeks had a recipe for making pickles from cucumbers. And they, they would first take a, a cucumber and they would bapto in Greek, which means to dip. They would dip it in the water. And dipping it in the water was this, this act of cleansing. It was washing it, all of the dirt and the grime of how it had grown. The environment in which... The cucumber grew was dirty. It had to be washed clean. It would be baptized. And then, after it was dipped into the water, they would take them and immerse them or baptizo them into vinegar and let it remain in the vinegar until the transformation was complete. They didn't take it out of the vinegar. Hear me. They didn't get tired a year in following Jesus and be like, yeah, you know what? I'm, it's not really working. No, no. They knew the process of becoming a pickle takes a little bit of time. It's not going to happen overnight. It's, it's a process. And becoming a disciple is a process through which we enter into and will continue to be in until Jesus returns again. We are all becoming something. We all are becoming someone. And we want to become transformed by God, come, become transformed by the life of God, so that we become the radiant people of God in the world in which we are living. Whether you realize it or not, you are being formed by everything around you. I came across this excerpt this week from uh, Brian Rosner, and he says it like this. In his book, No More God, he says, Tim Foster explains how cultural narratives are transmitted. A cultural narrative is found, 
hidden beneath a multiplicity of symbols, myths, and rituals. It is told through the myths found in books, magazines, films, advertising, blogs, and anecdotes. It is symbolized in fashion, brands, technology, art, music, architecture. It is ritualized in the practices that govern each day, week, and year. It is, don't miss this, embodied in the values, pronouncements, and lifestyles of our heroes and our celebrities, and I would add, the people we live around. In countless ways and from the earliest age, our cultural narrative is told and it is absorbed. We are all being transformed into something. My question is, are you being transformed into the ways of Jesus or are you being transformed into the ways of the world around us? You are being transformed every day. Let me say it another way that's going to be more shocking and you're not going to like it, but get over it. Uh, (laughs) Every day you are adding new data into the programming of the world or into the programming of you becoming like Jesus. You're being programmed every day. We all are. The question is, what's the data input that you're being programmed by? Now, please don't take this to such a a radical extreme that I'm now advocating that we all avoid the world around us and we go all dress the same, act the same, make our own clothes, churn our own butter, and live in communes somewhere off the grid. (laughs) Jesus help us. That's not... The call of Jesus. Actually, he says, I've called you to be in the world, but not of the world. In other words, you're actually called to be a light that shines in dark places. But you can't be in dark places if you ain't got a light. And that's the rub that most of us in our Western mindset have a trouble with. We just jump into the darkness and be like, well, I'm going to be like Jesus. The only problem is you ain't like Jesus yet. You still a cucumber and ain't even started being a pickle. You ain't got enough pickliness in you to change the environment that you're in. And we all are invited into this process. How do we become radiant? Well, I think if we're going to avoid and and leave our life of being radioactive and instead become radiant, I think we can learn some things from the prophet Joel. Again, in your Bibles, join me in Joel chapter 2. That's page 754 in your Fresh Start Bible. Joel... Chapter 2. While you're turning to Joel, let me give you a little background on Joel. Joel is what is considered in the Old Testament and the the breakdown of of how the the Bible is organized in a section of the Bible called Minor Prophets. Now, you might be sitting there thinking, Joel, why why is Joel called a minor prophet? It's not a minor because he doesn't matter as much. It's, it's not minor because he has a melancholy, emo style of writing to where like he's always like melancholy and depressed. That's not what the minor chord of his writing is. It, it, the breakdown between major prophet and minor prophet is length of prophecy. I am a major preacher. There is much length to my preaching. 
If you're looking for a minor preacher, go somewhere else. It's all about length of writings and articulation. And, uh, in the book of Joel, what you find kind of as a breakdown is Joel is prophesying about the day of Yahweh, the day of the Lord coming. And he uses some powerful illustrations about locusts, how locusts kind of bring about destruction and destroy a people and a nation and a land. But God promises to come and ultimately lead his people into renewal instead. He sees it uh, as, as how frail, and he talks about how frail humanity is and how chaotic the world in which they were living in was, and we would add still is. He's emphasizing how desperately we need God in our life and world. And Joel sees a glimpse of what it will be like when Yahweh's heavenly army invades the world to bring about order and peace. When the people of God rise up as God's people and transform the world around them. That's what Joel is communicating to us. So Joel chapter 2. We're going to start in verse 12 and work our way through the rest of this chapter today. Joel chapter 2. Starting in verse 12, it says this. That is why the Lord says, turn to me now while there is still time. Give your hearts, give me your hearts. Come with fasting, weeping, and mourning. But don't tear your clothing in your grief, but tear your hearts instead. Return to the Lord your God, for he is merciful and compassionate, slow to get angry and he is filled with unfailing love he is eager to relent and not punish who knows perhaps he will give you a reprieve sending you a blessing instead of this curse perhaps you will be able to offer grain and wine to the Lord your God as before blow the ram's horn in Jerusalem announce a time of fasting call the people together for a solemn meeting gather all the people the elders the children even the babies call the bridegroom from his quarters and the bride from her private room let the priest minister who minister to the in the Lord's presence stand and weep. See, it's okay that ministers weep. I just want you to know I find great comfort in this. Stand and weep between the entry room to the temple and the altar. Let them pray, spare your people, Lord. Don't let your special possessions become an object of mockery. Don't let them become a joke for unbelieving foreigners who say, has the God of Israel left them? I love this. It's a call for the people of God. In fact, I love that it says all the people of God. Call the elders. Call the children. Even call them babies. In other words, following Jesus and becoming the radiant people of God is a family business. And then he says, uh, call the brides and the bridegrooms. In other words, interrupt whatever they're doing and tell them the more important thing is to come before the Lord in repentance. It's a call to all the people of God to, number one, repent. If we're going to stop being radioactive and become radiant, step one is to repent. If we're going to go from being dirty, filthy cucumbers to becoming tasty, wonderful pickles, step one 
is to repent. To repent. Charles Spurgeon said it this way, Repentance and faith are distasteful to the unregenerate. They would sooner repeat a thousand formal prayers than shed a solitary tear of true repentance. The, it's interesting to me that repentance is, uh, for the Jewish people, uh, definitely not only something they did inwardly, but it was an outward embodiment as well. They would fast, they would pray, they would put on sackcloth and ashes and grieve their own sin. There was an outward demonstration of their own repentance. In fact, here Joel is calling to them saying, hey, yeah, go ahead, fast and pray and put on the sackcloth and ashes, that's fine. But don't you dare do it without your heart being passionately returning back to the Lord. See, they got to the point where they were so outward, they were just going through the outward motions, but their heart was far removed from what they actually needed to be doing. Can I, can I be real honest with you? I think for us in the West, we actually do it the opposite. We feel sorrowful in our heart, but we don't actually do anything different in our embodied life to reveal our repentance. Like, oh, Jesus will forgive me. Two weeks later, we're doing the same dang thing. We could use a little bit more outward embodied repentance, I believe, in our world, in our own life, in our own faith, and following, following Jesus. Now, when I talk about repentance, I find it interesting. I'm going to try and go kind of quickly here, but uh, in, uh, I found it interesting this week as I was studying in, in Joel chapter 1. You can go back and read it this week for yourself. But in Joel chapter 1, he talks about four stages of the locust destroying things. He talks about how the locust would come and uh, gnaw, then swarm, then lick, then consume. And the, the stages of development of the locust to bring destruction on a land, on a crop, on the fruit of somebody's life. I found that very interesting. You might say, Pastor, why do you find that interesting? Do you like insects? No, actually, I do despise them uh, quite a lot, actually. Uh, but that's besides the point. I found it interesting because locust is the way in which the land was being destroyed. The people were being destroyed. It's a parallel for sin in our lives. And it, it got me thinking about how James in the New Testament said, sin operates in our life in four stages. Can we get nerdy on the Bible for just a minute? Let me take you down a little rabbit trail of some deeper Bible study just for a second. Four stages of sin. James says it starts with a desire. That desire is then led to by a deceit that gnaws away and tries to convince you to do something wrong. It's led by an action. That's when the sin is actually committed. And then those actions that are unrepented eventually lead you to death. It's a gnawing thing that happens within you that desire to do the wrong thing. It is a swarming deceit among you where you are just, man, I got to do it. I, I don't know. I don't know how else to do it. I just want to get mad. I want to get yelled. I want to scream. I want to beat somebody. I want to shoot somebody. I want to do something. I want to do uh, this evil, evil, evil deceit in me. And surely it's got to be right. I mean, if I feel that I ought to do it and if it, if it feels good, I ought to do it. And my emotions are telling me the truth and I ought to believe my emotions. I can't deny who I really am. What I really want to do is do this. And it's just this gnawing swarming, and then it goes to an actual action. And we commit the sin. We do the thing. We say the thing. We act the way. We break fellowship with God. We whatever. And the longer we do the action, it eventually leads to death. Desire, deceit, action, and death. Gnawing, swarming, licking, consuming. I've got some good news, though. 
There are actually four stages to real repentance, according to the Bible, too. I told you it was going to be good. Are you ready to take some notes? Let me write, help, you, help you write some things down. What does it look like to actually embody repentance, to, to, to repent according to the Bible? It, it, it's all about beginning to develop an undivided devotion to the Lord. How, how do we develop that? Undivided devotion to the Lord. Four stages. Are you ready? Number one starts with conviction of sin. This is our first and perhaps most important response to the conviction of the Holy Spirit. See, the word, uh, the Holy Spirit comes to us and begins to convict us in an invitation to repent. And most of us, when the conviction comes, we begin to run the other way. This is why Hebrews says that we already know what Jesus has done for us. So we can come to the throne of grace and get mercy when we need it. When do you need mercy? When you did something dumb? When you need some forgiveness, that's when you need some mercy. So when you need mercy, the Bible tells us that's when you can go to God. And it all starts with this conviction of our sin. The second stage of repentance is contrition for our sin. This is our, uh, uh, this kind of an outward step that we do. It's a response to the conviction of the Holy Spirit. The word contrite means this, to be crushed and broken and sorrowful for our sin. Charles Simeon says, one of the most fundamental marks of true repentance is a disposition to see sin as God sees sin. Not how it's normalized in our world. Not how it's not as bad as someone else's sin. But how our sin is viewed by God. Step three in repentance. The next part of repentance is confession. Somebody say confession. See, it's good to say some things out loud every once in a while. Somebody say confession. I'm just helping you practice the right rhythms here. Confession of sin. This is where we admit and own And, don't miss this, accuse ourselves of transgressions while we simultaneously ask for the forgiveness and absolution of Christ. Don't miss this part. Whatever we are justifying cannot be justified by Christ. Well, I mean, everybody does it. It, It's really not a big deal. You've just justified your sin And it cannot be justified by Christ in that process. There is an element of our repentance where we confess our sin, where we own it, we admit it, we accuse ourselves of the guilt that we've done. Listen, listen, listen. Confession of sin is not about explaining away why it happened. It's owning what happened without explanation why it happened. That's, that's confession, confessing and saying, I did, this is wrong. Not why, not, not what led to it, not what the other person did that made me do this. No, no, no. Confession is owning it and accusing yourself of the, of the crime you committed. It's pleading guilty to something. Without trying to justify or explain it away. Pastor, but, but don't we need to unpack and like, and aren't you a proponent of therapy? Like understanding what we went through? Yeah, 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 I absolutely am. 
There is a time to understand why, but the time to understand why a sin was done, why you did a certain thing, why something happened, is not in the moment that it happened. It's actually as you do number four, and that's consecrate yourself away from sin. This is when, see, the closer you get to God and consecration to him, the further you get to the thing. And if there is one thing that helps you understand why something happened, why you did, what happened and why, it is distant from that thing perspective comes with greater distance from repentance is the first step to stop being radioactive and to becoming radiant it's the first step in going from a cucumber to a pickle conviction of sin contrition for sin confession of sin and that consecration this is a turning away It is where we begin to not only confess something, but now we consecrate ourselves to do it different. We consecrate ourselves to walk in the ways of God instead of our own ways. It's it's recognizing that God has loved us and freed us and repentance helps us move in the right direction. Charles Spurgeon says it this way, it is always a sign of repentance in Christians who have fallen when they leave the company where they were led astray. In other words, I'm burning the bridges and I ain't going back to that old way of life. I'm deleting the phone numbers. I'm getting a new circle of friends. I'm going to move on and I'm going to surround myself with radiant people of light because I'm tired of being radioactive. There is a pursuit of God with our passion. And when, listen friends, when you pursue God, he responds. This is the promise. This is the beauty of what Jesus has given us. When we pursue God with passion, he responds. He is faithful. He is just. He draws near to you when you draw near to him. This is the promise of God's word and repentance is the first step in becoming radiant. Number two, let's go to Joel chapter two. We're still there. Let's pick it up in verse 18 and see if there's another step that we can take after repentance. Here we go. Starting in verse 18 says this. Then the Lord will pity his people and jealously guard the honor of his land. The Lord will reply, look, I am sending you grain and new wine and olive oil, enough to satisfy your needs. You will no longer be an object of mockery among the surrounding nations. I will drive away these armies from the north. I will send them into the parched wastelands. Those in front will be driven into a dead sea. uh, And those at the rear into the Mediterranean, the stench of the rotting bodies will rise over the land. Surely the Lord has done great things don't be afraid O land verse 21 says be glad now and what's that word rejoice Rejoice. for the Lord has done great things don't be afraid and you animals of the field or wilderness and pastures will soon be green the trees will again be filled with fruit and fig trees and grapevines will be loaded down once more rejoice you people of Jerusalem rejoice in the Lord your God for the rain he sends demonstrates his faithfulness one more of the autumn rains will come and and will as the spring rains the threshing floor will again be piled high with grain and the presses will overflow with new wine and olive oil the Lord says I will give you back what you lost come on that's good news right there the swarming locust, the hopping locust, the stripping locust, the cutting locust. It was I who sent this great destroying army against you and once again you will have all the food you want and you will praise the Lord your God who does these miracles for you. Never again will my people be disgraced. 
Then you will know that I am among my people Israel, that I am the Lord your God and there is no other. Never again will my people be disgraced. What do we do after we repent? We rejoice. We rejoice. That's what we do. We repent and we rejoice. We rejoice. We rejoice because of the forgiveness that he gives us. And we rejoice because of the promise of renewal that he is sending us. We rejoice because he said he was going to do something. If he said he's going to do something, he's going to do it. We rejoice because of his goodness. Uh, this is, uh, goes back to, to, the, to the lady in the New Testament who came and poured out her alabaster jar at the feet of Jesus. And they were like, why is this woman worshiping you, Jesus, with such extravagance? Tell her to t- dial it back a little bit. She's a little loud and obnoxious and interrupting what I'm doing. Why is her worship so passionate? And Jesus is like, yeah, listen, um, those of you who have been forgiven little, you worship little. And those of you who have been forgiven much, oh, you worship much. You love much. Why, as a family here at Faith Church, are we expressive in our rejoicing to the Lord? Because we've been forgiven of a whole lot. We are people well acquainted with the reality that we were once lost, but now we've been found. We were once blind, oh, but now we can see. We were once cucumbers, but we becoming some pickles. It, we rejoice in the Lord. Paul says, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I'll say it again, rejoice. Rejoice because you know what he's going to do. You begin with gratitude even before the full renewal has come. And then when the renewal comes, you know what you do again? You rejoice some more. Why? Because gratitude leads to more gratitude. It's been uh, documented and, and, and clinically studied that gratitude impacts your emotional state. That when you daily make a list of things and express aloud what you are grateful for, it has a reversing effect on stress, on anxiety, on depression, on suicidal thoughts. All of the mental emotional baggage that you feel in life can begin to be reversed when you choose gratitude. Now, that's not the only thing you need to do. I'm just telling you the impact gratitude can have on your heart and mind and your mental state. You still need to talk to a doctor? You still need, I'm not saying don't do, I'm just telling you, gratitude has some benefits to it. That's all I'm trying to say. Your grumpiness ain't helping you know how. (laughs) Pastor, I'm not grumpy. Well, would you tell your face that? Because it's like in a permanent frown. (laughs) Like like I could count the frowns in this room if you wanted me to. (laughs) Rejoice. Rejoice. Worse. Some of you this week, can I challenge you? If you know you, you've repented and you've been forgiven, and, but you're just not feeling that repentance, you're not feeling like a child of God, you're not, you still feel more like a cucumber than you feel like a pickle, increase your worship this week. Increase it. Worship God this week. 
While you're driving, while you're at work, while you're mowing your yard, while you're folding laundry, while you're making dinner, rejoice in the Lord. Worship God on your, lift a song of praise to the Lord for all he has done. If you need help finding songs, we have a curated playlist on our central hub of Spotify. It's about four hours long of worship songs. You're welcome. Increase your worship this week. Increase your worship this week. Number three. Let's go to Joel. Let's keep reading. Let's pick it up in verse 28. Joel chapter 2. Starting in verse 28 says this. Then after doing all those things, what things? Repent and rejoice. After doing those things, I will pour out my spirit upon all people. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams. Your young men will see visions. And in those days, I will pour out my spirit, even on the servants and men or women alike. And I will cause wonders in the heavens and on the earth, blood and fire and columns of smoke. The sun will become dark and the moon will turn blood red before the great and terrible day of the Lord arrives. That's all apocalyptic language. It's illustrative, not literal. But everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved for some on the Mount Zion in Jerusalem will escape and just as the Lord has said these will be among the survivors those whom called the Lord has called oh friends how do you know if the Lord is calling you because all who call on the name of the Lord will be saved oh it's good news repent Rejoice, receive Holy Spirit. Receive Holy Spirit. I I thought thought it was interesting that in talking about the pouring out of the Holy Spirit, which is the power of God to transform your life in every area of your life. If you want to experience renewal, flourishing, and become a radiant person of Jesus, you need the Holy Spirit present and active in your life. no other way just the Holy Spirit like that's the, that's the most important ingredient in this process I thought it was interesting that uh, he said things like blood and fire and smoke as he was talking about this blood fire smoke these these metaphoric illustrative words that he was using blood fire smoke blood that was what was necessary that was the payment for a sin to be atoned Fire, well, it's fire, and smoke is evidence of fire. Very good. I just, Smokey the Bear would be very proud. (laughs) Smoke is evidence of fire. Okay. Blood, fire, smoke. I thought that was interesting because the blood of Jesus is what pays for your adoption. The fire is the consuming purity of the life of Jesus He's the one who baptizes you with fire and gives you the gift of salvation through the Holy Spirit coming to live in you. And smoke is the evidence of the fire of the Spirit born and birthed on the inside of you. The blood of Jesus at the cross paid the price so you could be adopted into the family of God. So that you can find forgiveness when you repent. Oh, which leads to great rejoicing. Rejoicing knowing that all who call on the name of the Lord will be saved. Oh, that's, that's a reason to rejoice and to worship 
him. But there is a presence and a purity of Jesus that comes in this process. And the smoke is the Spirit's work in our lives. This is what Jesus said. We looked at this text last week in Matthew 28. Go make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, baptize them in the name of the Son, and baptize them in the name of the Holy Spirit, the, the, the blood, fire, and smoke. This is what it looks like. How do you know if, if you're not a cucumber anymore, but you're becoming a pickle? Well, you take more, taste more like a pickle than you do a cucumber. That's the evidence. You, you, people can taste and see the fruit in your life and know that God is good and present. He, he says it this way, or let me say it this way. How do we become radiant instead of radioacting? Here, here it is in one sentence. The outpouring of the Holy Spirit brings renewal to our life, powering our life to shine as God's radiant people. See, this is what God is after. He, he's wanting us to come and see if I can do this. I don't know if I can or not. He wants us to come and, and be cleansed as we repent, baptized in water, dipped and come back out. Our lives cleansed. All the dirt from living in this world, being, being programmed by the way of the world, dirty, filthy, non-tasty stuff in our lives. He wants us dipped, clean, washed, washed in the waters. <laughs> oh, but see, when Jesus got baptized, he came up out of the water. And when he came up out of the water, something came on him instead. The Bible says it was like a dove came down. It wasn't a dove. It was like a dove. And it was the Holy Spirit who descended on Jesus. Oh, and the Holy Spirit didn't leave. He remained. He, he was immersed in the Spirit. Oh, but you don't understand. See, when they would make pickles, they would not really just dip them in there. No, no, no. It would be poured out. And in the last days, I will pour out my Spirit on all cucumbers and flesh. You're going to prophesy. You're going to experience the miraculous. You're going to see your life transformed to become the radiant people of God. And I'm going to pour out my spirit. And I'm going to remain in you. And if I remain in you and you remain in me, you can ask whatever it is that's holding your life back from becoming like a pickle. And I'm going to do it. You just wait. I'm going to come and I'm going to remain. And I'm going to remain on you and remain on you and remain on you and remain on you and you and you and you and you. And then when you all gather together as the people of God... You know what's going to emanate from this place? The very presence of God is going to show up. To transform hearts and transform lives. And we behold the beauty and glory of the transformed lives of around us and in us and through us. And it's Christ in us and through us and around us. It's the spirit who lives in you, who is remaining in you, who is in the process of helping you become more like Jesus. But it starts with getting the spirit poured out in your life. When does it happen? Whenever you ask for it, that's when it happens. Did it happen at baptism? I don't know. Did you ask for the Spirit to fill your life when you got baptized? Jesus said all you have to do is ask and then you receive. All you have to do is ask and you receive the Spirit to come in you. 
You may not know all of what that means when you get the Holy Spirit. When the Holy Spirit fills you and saturates you and saves you and redeems you and fills you. Oh, when you become immersed in the Spirit, in those moments, oh, the Spirit lives in you. I do believe that if you've been saved, if you've given your life to Jesus, if you've repented, you've walked through the waters of baptisms and you are pursuing Him, I believe the Holy Spirit has been poured out in your life. I absolutely believe that. You may not know all of what that means, It's possible to buy a car that is fully loaded and you not know what all the buttons do. Oh, you've got all of the gifts of the Spirit inside of you because you have the Holy Spirit who operates those gifts living on the inside of you. But I don't feel, what about the fruit of the Spirit? I I don't have much self-control. You do because the Holy Spirit is in you. You just need to allow the Holy Spirit to cultivate self-control all up in you. You don't know all that you have on the inside of you, but that doesn't mean it's not on the inside of you. If you have repented and you can rejoice in your repentance, you can rest assured you you can receive the Holy Spirit. How should we respond today? Well, I don't know about you, but I want to be less radioactive in my life. So you know how I want to respond today? I want to repent. I want to rejoice. I want to receive a fresh outpouring of the Holy Spirit in my life. Would you stand with me? Would you bow your heads, close your eyes just for a minute? And we bow our heads and close our eyes, not because we're ashamed of what God is saying, but so that you can focus on you and not get all caught up in what's happening around you. Would you take a minute and respond today? Music's going to play. Would you just respond? Maybe you need to repent. Maybe you need to rejoice a little bit. Maybe you need to ask for the Spirit to fill you. Ask for the Holy Spirit to be poured out on you. Maybe it's your life. Maybe for you, this repentance is the very first moment of surrender in your life where you have realized today for the very first time, I'm a dirty cucumber and I'm radioactive in my life and sin has been running rampant and oh, how I long to be free and healed and whole. Take a minute and respond to the Lord today. today we repent Lord Lord, even those of us who have been following you for a long time and we've been in the process of becoming a pickle for a while Lord there are things that we have to repent for every once in a while so that we repent today we rejoice we rejoice in the promise that you are slow to anger and rich in love we rejoice in that you who began a good work are faithful to complete that work. But we rejoice today that our names are written in heaven and you know us by name and you're praying for us and forgiveness is available for us. Oh, Lord, we rejoice in that. 
Lord, we say, come, Holy Spirit, would you fill us today? An outpouring of your spirit in our lives, God, would you come today? Would you fill us with power and might? And Jesus, we, we welcome the gift of the spirit to transform us from radioactive to radiant. Jesus, come, Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit. Would you just be bold enough to whisper that prayer? Those of you that long for it, would you say, come, Holy Spirit, come. Come, Holy Spirit, come. Thank you, Lord, for your presence that's changing and transforms. Your, your presence that abides, that is immersing us today. We're grateful, Jesus. We really are. Lord, give us the boldness and the courage and the confidence in your word to walk this out in an embodied way this week. To let our hearts not be far from you and our actions to be reflective of that devotion this week. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Jesus. And we pray these things in the name of the Father who loves us, the Son who has died for us and purifies us and forgives us, and in the name of the Holy Spirit who abides in us, we pray. And everybody said, amen. I really hope today's message was life-giving. As a church, we want to help you encounter God and take another next step in your allegiance to Jesus. I want to ask you to take a step right now, in fact. Would you just share this message with a friend? Maybe post it on your social, text a coworker the link. Just be sure to include something that you learned or how it impacted you personally. When you do that, you get to be a part of seeing faith come to life in someone else. And don't forget to visit our central hub, faithchurchks.org. You'll find other next steps that you can take in your faith, including giving and partnership with us as we help others encounter Jesus like you've encountered him. Hey, we love you. And until we get to hang out again, remember, don't shrink back from your faithful allegiance to King Jesus.